Hey there, you are listening to Cryptids Decrypted, but before we get into today's fantastic episode about Mongolian deathworms, that's right, Mongolian deathworms, we're doing it. I just have a quick plug for my latest book. A couple of weeks ago, I released Downpour. It is the sequel to my first novel, Whiteout, and it shows the continuing adventures of Nick Ventner, a drunken monster hunter who's just looking to get paid enough to get some cheap whiskey. This one has him going to South America. He's going to face off against some crazy serpents, uh, ghosts, goblins, goblin ghosts, you name it. And these are all based on real South American cryptids, so it's really kind of a, a good tie-in to this series. If, if you're interested... You can purchase it on my website at macashton.com slash shop. Uh, if you want ebooks or signed copies, that's where you go. Or if you prefer Amazon, uh, you can just go to amazon.com and search Ashton McCauley or Nick Fentner, and it will pop up. So thank you for your support. It really means a lot. If you have read it, please leave us a review. Much like this podcast, reviews are the best way to get the information out. As an independent author with a small publisher, you know, these reviews really do put us over the top and we super appreciate them. So thank you for your support. Enjoy the episode on Mongolian deathworms. I'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to episode three, season two, Cryptids Decrypted. We're we're doing something real weird today. We're talking about the Mongolian deathworm which was initially something I found through Truth or Cryptid when I was trying to find cryptids that kind of sound real. And pieces of this definitely do. Other pieces of it definitely do not. It's, uh, it's a strange one. But before we get into that, uh, hey, hey, listeners, hey, dear friends, I have a, I have a book. It's, it's out. It is the sequel to my first book. If you like cryptids, you should buy it because it is about a monster hunter. He gets real drunk. In this one, he's going to South America. There's plane crashes. There's giant shitty river snakes and all sorts of ghosts and goblins and stuff. So, you know, go check it out. It's called Downpour. Uh, you can buy it on my website or on Amazon. Uh, you search Downpour, Nick Ventner Adventure or MacAshton.com slash shop. I read it in a single sitting. I was on a plane, but it's... It's real good. I've I can vouch for that, and it's got some really fun cryptids in it. Um, Ashton, you do a really good job of weaving the myth together and uh, implementing some interesting ways for Nick to after, get out after, of some jams. It's, after after really doing the Mongolian deathworm, I kind of want to really like take this myth and make it good uh, <laughs> <laughs> and put and put it in somewhere. But uh, you know, I guess well, we'll get to that. Uh, Dear listeners, this Tyler, is a bad one. <laughs> yeah, this is. This is, and I wonder who picked it. Jeez, uh, can't have been me. But Tyler, why don't you, uh, why don't you get us start us started? Tell us what what is a Mongolian deathworm? Where does it come from? What's the country of origin? Are we not talking about how we all heard about this for the first time? Are we skipping that section? <laughs> We're skipping that section because uh, apparently most of us heard about it either through Truth or Cryptid or when I said we're doing Mongolian <laughs> deathworms. Are we not? Truth or Cryptid Are you not going to introduce who I am and who Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, John guys. Co-host today. I have Tyler <laughs> and I have John. You you know them because you listen to the podcast. Uh, welcome, friends. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. Yeah, John was in prison, so... You know, we finally were able to get his bail together. Do not <laughs> steal from old ladies. I learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was straight Watchdogs Legion in real life. It's crazy. So tell us the the origin of the Mongolian deathworm. So yeah, it's uh, it is in Mongolia, as as the name would um, you know, allude to. 
Um, uh, it's in the Gobi Desert specifically, uh, which is a massive desert. I think it's like 1.5 million kilometers or something crazy like that, or 500,000 miles, square miles. So, uh, a massive desert. Um, the Mongolians refer to it as the um, large intestine worm. However, they don't say it in English, obviously, and I have uh, I don't want to uh, disrespect the. I tried language. to I tried to figure out how to pronounce this one. The I listened to a language. bunch of YouTube videos on it. And I was like, "Yeah, nope, I'm gonna try." It's it's uh. real bad. It's real hard. <laughs> does does it make Mkele Bembe look like sausage? Yeah, or so something, it's like where it's like it's spelled uh, so phonetically. It's Allergorhai Horhai, but I I can almost guarantee <laughs> that that's wrong. How I said it. Very cool uh, name. However, it really just translates to large intestine worm. Um, and the reason for that is, well, it's a large red worm-like creature. Um, it's about the width of a, of a man's arm. Um, so we're talking, sorry, uh, going back uh, in terms of how long, long it is, it's about two and a half, uh, two to five feet with a, uh, width of a man's arm, a grown man's arm. I was going to say, so when you say the width of a man's arm, are you talking about like the girth Hulk Hogan, or are we talking about like Ashton? It's unclear gonna go with in between okay. i'm gonna say tyler <laughs> <laughs> just like it's, me it's a tyler arm. Yeah, it's a tyler arm yeah all right it's a great yeah. comparison for an yeah. audio medium you know so guys imagine my arm yeah <laughs> um so it's you know two two to five feet man's arm size uh its ends are uh, spiky they have like little spikes coming out the end of them uh and it uh spits acid out of its mouth at its prey or whoever it's trying to kill and supposedly it can kill a person immediately like when you say acid is it like sulfuric acid that like melts people or is it more like venom that goes through the skin and then paralyzes i'm curious about that me too (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really inconsistent surprisingly there's stuff that like say it's like a hooded cobra right where it could because i apparently i didn't realize those things are accurate up to 10 feet they can they can spit and blind you from 10 feet or like really mess you up well, we don't know, but uh, supposedly this one feels a little bit more of a far, like a far-fetched kind of thing. It uh, also is capable of releasing a supercharged electrical pulse, um, which has led some folks to speculate that it could be some sort of relative of the electric eel. Now, here's the thing about electric eels. They're not actually eels, uh, but rather they're fish. Um, and so the chances of this being a uh, fish out <laughs> in the middle of the uh, Gobi Desert is uh, low, uh, but I felt like that was worth mentioning, of course. Um, but yeah, it is, it is described as looking like the intestine of a cow and that's why they call it the large intestine worm. Yeah. Solid description (laughs) there. I mean, it's, it's like, it's funny, like for being called the Mongolian death worm, it really does sound like, I I get it like a five foot, uh, potentially five foot worm. That's still pretty, that's pretty big and terrifying. And I guess like if it was like a five foot snake, that would be, that would be scary, but I feel like five like, feet's not that. Yeah. So when did this myth start? When when are the first recorded sightings, those types of things? Because I'm really curious because of some of the you know pop culture references we, we have coming up on if it's just coincidental or if it could have been an influence. Like when did the Mongolian death worm originate? So um, Ashton will talk a little bit about a guy named Roy Chapman Andrews. Um, however... Um, it's unclear going how far back um, with the Mongolian uh, people, um, but it is deeply ingrained in their culture. Which is something we see pretty commonly. I mean, looking at 
again, Kelly Bembe bringing that mm-hmm. back up. That's something that goes back years. Yeah. Like that creature too. They think it's real. Like, yeah. uh, there's still a lot of Mongolian people that think it's an undiscovered species right. and that it's, it's very real, but very there's convinced. no, yeah, no evidence, <laughs> <laughs> which to be fair, it is a really gotcha. large, uh, uh, area that it supposedly lives in. So, um, yeah, locals do maintain that the myth is, is very real. Um, and like you said, no, uh, evidence. However, uh, one, um, you know, a lot of what we're hearing in terms of evidence is, uh, kind of hearsay. Um, however, I did find one interesting bit about that. It supposedly is, uh, the premier, um, of Mongolia at, in the twenties, I guess, uh, spotted the Mongolian deathworm and saw it. And so he ended up telling Roy Chapman Andrews again, who Ashton will talk about in um, a few minutes here. Um, but a lot of the reason behind the fact that there's just so little evidence is probably because Gobi, the Gobi desert is massive. Um, like I said, it's 1.5 million kilometers or 500,000 square feet or square, square miles. So really, really huge. It's not a hospitable either. Like right. for for going on an expedition, it's kind of shitty. So, so, and I just there was another thing to kind of touch on here. Worms don't really exist in this sort of a, a setting. So there is, of course, sand-based worms. Um, however, they're typically near uh, water, so you know the sea or whatever. So, um, in my in my notes here, I've got that there's the uh, giant beach worm in Australia, and they're friggin' huge. They look like centipedes, kind of. Um, but again, they are near water. So the idea of worms existing in a desert is very, um, unlikely because they retain, retain moisture and they would, you know, of course they would dry out, um, or I guess they were, sorry, they require moisture, but they would dry out, um, being in the, in the Gobi desert. If you're wondering how big that many square miles is, it's roughly 1.5 times the land as Texas, which is the biggest state in the U S. So it's. When you say massive, Tyler, you're spot Second on. biggest. It's huge. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Also, Alaska is bigger than Texas. Yeah. It's that Alaska's tail. Huge, it's right? Alaska's tail. <laughs> also, a uh, real quick note on beachworms, because that was actually one of the one of the most interesting things I found while researching this was the actual existence of Australian beachworms. Uh, these fuckers can be up to ten That's feet so long. That's so big. <laughs> uh, and. It, yeah, and they're huge. And like, if you look at the exoskeletons, like if you look up a uh, giant Australian beachworm, you'll see pictures. They look horrifying because they they kind of just look like centipedes, and they have like these weird exoskeletons. And it's just like, like the fact that a ten feet pole <laughs> almost isn't long enough. I don't like it. I I don't I don't like it. I right. never want to go to the beach again. And Stay of course, it's from Australia. Well, we'll, that makes a lot. We'll of talk sense. about ten feet poles a little bit. Later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that's gonna go, but all right. So, oh, oh no. just wait. Listeners. So anyway, the, the actual likelihood of being a worm is low, but snakes uh, it could be. I think you know we'll talk about what we think it is, but it's not impossible that it's a snake. Yeah. So I think looking into the expeditions for this creature, like I, gosh, so splitting splitting up this research in the beginning, I was like, all right, there's there, there's going to be lots of interesting things, but it's 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 kind of hard to find the information. So when I was looking into expeditions to find it, I found three main sources, and one of them is a lot more robust than the others. But the first is, like you were talking about, Roy Chapman Andrews. He's a famous paleontologist slash zoologist, and he wrote a book called On the Trail of Ancient Man, which is a documentation of Mongolian wildlife, and that was in 1926. He's also apparently the inspiration behind Indiana Jones. 
What's what? Exactly. How did I not find that in- information? I love that in our That's episodes we keep blowing Ashton's mind going yeah. back to Tessie. I gotta I gotta read more about Roy Chapman Andrews. Clearly, <laughs> like holy crap. So, but apparently he met with the. So you were talking about the premiere of Mongolia. You know the the premiere of Mongolia when he was there filming his documentary or sorry not writing his book not filming a documentary when he was writing his book the. <laughs> Mongolian premier is like, if you can find any evidence of this creature and bring it back, like we would be grateful because we've never been able to capture a live specimen and all we have is people talking about it. Uh, and they specifically wanted him to try and capture it. But no, nobody in the government themselves other than the premier had actually seen it. I think his evidence might have actually been anecdotal anyway. And needless to say, Roy Chapman didn't find anything. And uh, I, you know, I don't know how hard he looked for the death worm. You might have been focused on some other stuff, but I mean, Mongolia's got lots of wildlife. Um, oh, you gonna say the Ark yeah. of the Covenant? <laughs> yeah, well, he was fighting Nazis the whole time. Uh, a little, it was a little early, <laughs> but he was fighting the first wave. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Very progressive. Of it. But the real, so the real meat of this comes from Ivan Mackerel. Uh, he's a he was a Czech cryptozoologist, author, design engineer, and explorer. Uh, at least according to Wikipedia, he had a lot of titles. So this guy spent 30 years. Man. Yeah. He spent 30 years going across the globe, looking for legendary animals on the fringe of existence. Like he, he kind of like has this really interesting story actually of where he started to question what was real. So he was born in West Bohemia uh, in the Czech Republic, I believe. And so when he was three, Americans liberated his city at the end of world war two. But in school, they taught him that only the Russians had actually liberated Bohemia, that the Americans didn't have anything to do with it. But Ivan had pictures of himself with American GIs and with like American Jeeps and stuff. And so he said that's when he learned to question the common explanations of what the world was, which I thought was kind of interesting. And he's he's like a, he's a really- Good origin story. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy too. Like his first expedition was looking for Dracula's castle uh, that inspired the famous Bram Stoker novel. They awesome. they ended up finding some walls from a castle that they thought was Dracula's, but later they found out that uh, that was actually based on something else. It was based on Ivan the Terrible. But, you know, hey, they, they tried and they did find something. But so he, he has a lot of ex- expeditions. I'd love to cover at a different time. Uh, but in the 90s is when he set his sights on the Mongolian deathworm. And he did two expeditions in 92 and 93. And this is how he describes it. He said, it's a sausage-like worm over half a meter, so 20 inches long, and as thick as a man's arm, resembling the intestine of cattle, like Tyler said. Um, the tail is short, as if it were cut off, but tapered. Uh, it's difficult to te- tail its head from its tail because it has no visible eyes, nostrils, or mouth. And that's something that's I've seen, like, all of the depictions show it kind of like the dune worm, which uh, John will talk about later, but, like, they all depict it as having a mouth, and he doesn't seem to to think that he also said that he thinks it either rolls around or squirms sideways, sweeping its way about and lives in the desolate sand dunes. So it's, it's possible only to see it during the hottest months of the year, June and July later, it burrows into the sand and sleeps. Um, and then it comes out of the ground mainly after rain. When the ground is wet, it can kill humans and animals at a range of several meters, which rain in the Gobi desert, pretty rare. So really, really a hard creature defined by those metrics. Uh, he also believed that the worm could mysteriously kill people with uh, poison and electricity, like Tyler said. And then he said, originally, I thought it was science fiction. But when I was in university, we had a Mongolian student in our class. 
uh, I asked him, do you know what this is? The And then there's the name of the Mongolian deathworm in Mongolian. And he said, I was waiting for him to start <laughs> laughing and to say that's nothing. But he leaned in like he had a secret and he said, I know it. It's a very strange creature. Interesting. So expeditions didn't really start until the 1990s or the 1890s? 1990s. Man, that's well, late. Well, what about Roy Chapman? Uh, Roy, Ch- Ch- Roy, Roy Chapman, Chapman was 26. 1926. 20, 26. Okay, okay, But okay. he was Sorry. not like a specific expedition for the Mongolian deathworm. It was like on his task list. It was probably towards the bottom. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll humor, I'll humor this Mongolian official so that I can come do... Uh, zoology here interesting yeah but uh mackerel did as i said two earlier he actually did three he did 1992 93 and 2004 and so inspired by dune uh he and his team projected sounds into the earth trying to attract the worm so this involved things like explosive detonations and then rhythmic thumping machines that they would just sort of like drag across the sand (laughs) and try and draw it in which i thought i was like okay sure um he like actually ended up getting permits for the government to look for the creature, which kind of makes sense because it's it is something that a lot of people believe in. And in his last expedition, he brought an ultralight plane with a camera that was supposed to be scanning the dunes for signs of the creature, like uh, specifically looking for serpentine patterns in the sand. Uh, the the end of this expedition. They're rolling around. Yeah. Right. If they're rolling around, they're not going to leave serpentine shapes. Well, so I think they they move both above and below. He's saying when it's on the sand, it's rolling around like a little like lost sausage in the wind. Uh, (laughs) And then when it's below, there's like a mound that follows it. Yeah. Kind of like it's just the sand is shifting underneath it. Like Uh, a land shark. Like a land shark. But eventually, uh, this is a really sad end to this cool buildup. He gave up. He he gave up. He (laughs) gave up and he said, you know what? fuck it this creature must be a myth after going to the gobi desert three times which i kind of get like well he probably went to the gobi desert three times and was like i've explored 0.0001 of this thing what yeah and fuck if you can this. only find it after it rains like good luck it's like, oh it's <laughs> it's raining today like get the truck we gotta go uh <laughs> once every yeah uh the last expedition that I had evidence of is Richard Freeman, who is a cryptozoologist or zoologist, depending on who you ask. Uh, I I haven't done a ton of research into Richard Freeman, but I'm not loving what I see. He seems like kind of a strange guy. Uh, but he's he said, I don't think it's worm at all. True worms need moisture. I think it's a limbless, burrowing reptile. Probably a giant member of a group of reptiles known as Amphisbenes. Sure. Or worm lizards. Worm lizards. Yep. If it spits acid, though, I mean, he's not. Yeah. No, no. I think you. I think that's totally right. Like, we can get to it. Logically, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. If this exists, it's not a worm. Yep. Like, like it being an actual worm makes no sense. I mean, they need moisture. Unless far underneath the Gobi Desert, there's an aquifer or something or some kind of. Yes. The tunnels, John. The tunnels go to the Gobi Desert. Interdimensional <laughs> underground tunnels. We brought it back. Maybe it's like a big cave down there. Yeah. Oh god. But he was also convinced it was less harmful than people were saying. He said it's like uh, the salamander in medieval Europe, which was thought to be deadly poisonous. Uh, Alexander the Great was supposed to have lost hundreds of men after they drank from a stream that had a single salamander living in it. But now we know that most of them are harmless. Uh, so that's that's partially true, but there is definitely some salamanders that if you drink the water they're in, like right next to them, you will die. So, you know. 
Next time I okay. see a salamander in a stream, I won't drink the water out of it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, or if you do boil it. Uh, there are several horror stories of people going to get water at night in the Pacific Northwest and accidentally getting the salamander in their kettle and boiling it, and that will kill you too, so careful. Although how you wouldn't taste a boiled salamander, I don't know. But off topic, uh, so even today in the Sudan, people still think that the harmless sand boa is so venomous that you only have to touch it and you will die, which is interesting because that's something that's carried over to the Mongolian death worm. There are some people who think that just touching the outside of the creature will kill you instantly. But this Richard Passes Freeman poison here, through yeah, skin, skin contact. Interesting. It's just got natural ricin coming out of it. Uh, <laughs> But Richard Freeman made a pair of documentary videos on YouTube titled The Lair of the Red Worm. Uh, both are pretty low quality, even for 2007. <laughs> like, we're talking 480p Holy. with uh, crawl titles made in Windows Movie Maker. Uh, and no subtitles when people are talking in Mongolian. So it's it's a little, a little tough to glean what's going on. But uh, I did my damnedest and I did watch. Yeah. I tried to watch some of them. And... Uh, you know, it's there's a lot of them talking with locals who say they've seen the death worm, but of course, just like the last expedition, they didn't find anything. So unlike other cryptozoology things, it's like there's no sightings of the death worm. There's there's no sightings. It is all based on like well, I guess like kind of like there's there's hearsay. It's it's there are people in Mongolia who say they've seen it, but there's no like uh cryptozoologists or monster hunters that say they found it there. Which, gosh, I think that's that's pretty much all I had. Oh, uh, one other weird fact I found was that aside from humans, the Mongolian death worm apparently preys on camels. Camels. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that. It will leave eggs inside of the animal's camels. intestines, which eventually turn the camel the same color of red as the creature. But so that's that's all we have for like the expeditions to find the Mongolian death worm and as far as like what it is. But let's let's talk about death worms in the modern day because there's there's actually quite a few. Well, not quite a few. There, there's some pop culture references that are weirdly based on this myth. No, I would say there's there's quite a few. But if you look at just franchises, <laughs> there's really three. The first one I think everybody's heard of. It's it's Dune. Uh, written in 1965. It's a very famous sci-fi book. Uh, the concept is you have an empire trying to colonize a planet that is like entirely desert. Water's very scarce. And on that planet, these giant worms are drawn to vibrations, like you had mentioned, Ashton. Um, they have thumpers in the ground that bring them up. The natives do because the natives ride them. They're like whale-sized. They can eat ships and they can eat mining, like giant mining rigs. Like imagine um, the crawlers from a Star Wars A New Hope, like those types of things. Um, worms come up. And uh, they're very protective of the spice that is made in the planet. So that's a major thing. They don't really spit acid or anything, but they are attracted to the sound waves. The next pop culture reference is a Kevin Bacon movie from 1990. And, and what, I, what I'm really fascinated movie. with, what I'm really fascinated <laughs> with is I, I do want to call out again, Dune was 1965, Tremors was 1990. So that's before we had those three expeditions in 92, 93, and then 2004. Um, but 1990, Ashton in my birth year, this is when Tyler graduated college. Um, <laughs> yep. Oh, there's your sick burn. Yeah. Sick burn. Yeah, it was a good uh, one. But Got it's him. a, it's a horror comedy 
where worm-like creatures kill people from beneath ground. And when I think horror comedy, I think I think Tucker and Dale versus Evil, but this is a little more towards the horror side. Uh, they got snake-like tentacles from their tongues. They can't see anything, so they're all based off um, vibrations and those types of things. Uh, they hunt. So Jurassic Jurassic Park ripped it off with the T- the T Rex can't see very well, but it could go by sound. Yep. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're spot on. Wait, when was Tremors? Uh, so what year was it? This is Tremors. Yeah, ninety. And when oh. I was in college, they're <laughs> called graboids. That's a technical term, as we learned in Tremors three. Uh, <laughs> they have five stages of growth, as we learned in Tremors five, and their last stage of growth is the ass blaster that lays eggs out of its ass. Apparently, again in Tremors five. Now they made. Seven of these movies, only the first one had Kevin Bacon in it, and only the first one was a theatrical release. They also had a TV show on oh, sci-fi really? that was canceled after a single season. There is a new uh, Tremors movie out, like, in the last couple of weeks. That doesn't surprise me. I believe that's on the seventh. <clears throat> well, I don't know. I guess I could take that back. That might... It's, it, it was added to Netflix, like, a couple weeks it, ago. It came it out in 2020, like movie. and it, that oh, is okay. the seventh movie. You are you are spot on. Got it. Wow. And in, <laughs> in this movie, at one point, a couple characters get stuck on a pile of rocks, and they use pole vaults, 10-foot-long pole vaults, to avoid getting on the ground where worm where these, these tremor worms are and getting back to their car. Huh. So That is just a 10-foot pole. Now it makes sense. Wacky, wild... Things don't make sense, and they really milked these for all they could. And they're 30-foot-long worms. That's how long or and how big these graboids grow to. So, uh, yeah, very, very interesting liberties. How long are they How long are they with the ass blaster? That's the 30-foot-long. That's, that's the longest, most grown stage. Uh, so the final reference here is there was a TV movie actually named Mongolian Deathworm. In this one, American businessmen want to drill for oil in the desert outside of Mongolia. So they inject superheated yes. water for reasons. Yes. It, it ends up disturbing a nest of Mongolian deathworms, which, as Tyler mentioned earlier, generate an electromagnetic field that disrupts electronics. Uh, with the water. Yep. They're big enough to eat people. Uh, this one was a sci-fi movie, and it is now found on Tubi, which is apparently an app. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good app, actually. Oh, okay. I had never heard of it until I researched this. So, um, not a ton for Mongolian deathworms, but we do have, you know, two pretty pretty major, you know, AAA a things. With Dune, we had a movie. We have another movie coming out pretty shortly, which... Um, looks like it's actually pretty close to the book. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how they portray the worms in that movie because that's going to be a tricky thing to get right. Not enough Sting. I, I don't want to watch another <laughs> Dune movie without Sting. Bring Sting back. Mm. Are we talking about the so wrestler John, Sting? No, so John, you're a little young for this. Uh, there was a singer back in when I was in high school in the 80s <laughs> named Sting. Okay, there was also a wrestler named Sting and. He's my favorite Sting. Um, but yeah, that's what I got for pop culture. There's not a ton here, but sci-fi has definitely run with this. Um, and Tremors just they just kept the hits coming. I don't know if Can't Sting can't Sting have sex for like twenty four hours, isn't that a thing with you him? You know, I, I don't know, but he was he was the front man for the police, John, if you've heard of that band. Yeah. 
So that's kind of what we've got for pop culture. There's not a ton outside of the two major ones. Um, some of our other cryptids have had a slew of like B-list movies, direct-to-DVD movies, but outside of the Tremors 2 through 7 plus TV series, you know, we've only got the one TV movie. So Yeah, I think there's a bunch of Dune movies too. Dune movies? Because they made a bunch of books. I thought they only had the... Mm-hmm. The du- yeah, there's Sci-Fi Channel made a handful of them back in the day, and apparently they might actually be kind of good. Oh, interesting. Because I know they they wrote. I think there's five Dune books. Something like after that. the first one. I don't know. We've only uh, started the first one. I I've been told don't read the next ones. Leave it at Dune. It's a good self-contained story. Move on. But so thinking about why there's not so many like TV movies and stuff of the Mongolian death worm. I it so it's interesting a lot of the myths that we look at, right? We can trace them back to a specific time like even with Amityville we talked about how that happened right after the Exorcist released. Um Frogman was right after Creature from the Black Lagoon. This is one that can't really be traced to any major piece of pop culture. So the the 1926 story with a uh, yeah, with Andrews well, you you laugh, but but I mean, it, it, yes, the 1926 story got huge, but Tremors comes out in 1990, and then this guy just happens to go on these expeditions two years. Yeah, later. no, no, that that and makes Dune. sense. But I'm talking about with the origin, and he actually like, right, and he was inspired by Dune to do the yeah, what explosions in the sand. Yeah, so. he specifically said that Dune was his inspiration there. Uh, but I was thinking like just the origin of the myth, like so even before Chapman Andrews, like this was a pretty wide spread myth in mongolia so you're you're thinking like species actually birthing chupacabra yeah but i'm saying in this case like it seems like this was just a self-contained myth that was like that became on its own and it kind of it stuck around on its own too which is just very interesting to me and i think the reason it hasn't been adapted to more film and stuff is just because the base myth is pretty like other than the fact that yeah it's pretty tame other than the fact that it like spits acid and all that kind of stuff but it's also like death worm is i think a mistranslation um yeah so where yeah so death worm is actually a misleading translation from the original mongolian name which like i think gosh did i not write down the original translation god damn it uh yeah but basically the original translation of death worm is actually just closer to like sandworm apparently, and it was one of those words that was, it just happened to get screwed in translation, which has happened a few times uh, that we've seen. But so as far as this being truth or bullshit, uh, I'm gonna I'll, I'll weigh in first, and I'm gonna go ahead and say like electronic pulses and instant death, probably not. But red intestine colored worm, or like you know lizard or snake in the Mongolian desert. Sure. That's, that's a huge place. And like the myth had to come from somewhere. And as far as people dying instantly, right? You think the Gobi desert, people go out there, they're maybe they're unprepared. They see some sort of snake or something like that. And then they die afterward and they like, or like, and somebody sees it and, or they, they're told about it. Like that's a pretty easy way to propagate a myth. So I think it's entirely possible that it is some sort of sand bow or whatever that hasn't been classified yet. And there's plenty, we find new species in the Gobi desert almost every year. Yeah. I'm with you on this one. I think that there is definitely some sort of truth to this one. I just don't, I mean, 
I actually kind of I might uh, believe the the acid spitting kind of thing if you think about um, the way that they might you know have to eat in a in the desert. There's not a ton of animals out there, right? So they they don't have a ton to pick off. So if they have to spit at a you know a evolutionary speak evolution uh, you know taking that into account, um, you might have to spit acid at like a bird or something like that to be able to um, eat. So if you take that into account, I think that there's something like that could explain to spit acid however i don't believe in the uh acid or the electrical yeah the electrical pulses aspect of it which yeah. is just because like yeah. why it makes no sense in the desert like it's it sand, really sand is not conductive and at least with eels like the water around them can conduct the electricity so it makes sense but in this case it doesn't really so I, I'm, I'm very curious as to where that came from but it's certainly a lot easier to believe in something than if they were a lot bigger you know, if these were like, well, it's such a reasonable myth. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, oh, it's a worm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think you're spot on to give my two cents. I think the Mongolian death worm absolutely is a thing. I think it's been sensationalized for sure. Like you two have both gotten that. Like it, it probably spits acid. It's probably not actually lethal if you get hit immediately. I'm sure it's like getting bit by a black widow where, hey, you don't treat it. Yeah. You could die from it, but. Um, it's probably more meant to paralyze so this creature can go eat and it's it's venomous um and yeah the electromagnetic pulse is kind of and you know like like i said earlier outlandish. like sand boas even people think sand boas are more da- more dangerous than they are just because they look scary and so in the in the desert i think it's entirely possible like this is this is a myth where if i saw an article in nat geo being like mongolian death worm found i'd be like yeah that makes sense because it's just, it's it's so reasonable. And I picked it because it's called the fucking Mongolian death worm. But uh, <laughs> it's probably one of the tamer myths we've done. So, you know, sorry, listeners, yeah. but it was interesting to me. <laughs> sorry for the bad episode. <laughs> no, I think that... I, I don't believe this is a bad episode. I think we're just... No, I think this is the point of this kind of show is to pick it apart. And, yeah, it's one of the more realistic yeah, ones we've right. looked at, weirdly. But I guess that, that makes it <laughs> yeah. less interesting just because it is believable. <laughs> yeah. So with that in mind, uh, I so I, I pick this one. Uh, what what do you guys? What's on your list, Tyler? Leprechauns. John wants. John really wants to do leprechauns. Oh, I like leprechauns. I don't know why I never thought of leprechauns. Before. Yeah, well, this is off the rails. Yeah, we have steered steered the train off the fucking rails. We are doing leprechauns. Folklore mythology. You heard it here. We're we're that's it. We're doing we're doing leprechauns. We're, 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 we're doing leprechauns. We, That's the next episode. Hang on, hang on. But but we're not doing like Irish leprechauns. We're going to do the history of Notre Dame's mascot. Nope. This I'm will never be a sports ball podcast. And I cannot wait to talk about the movies. <laughs> so those are going to yep, be. So if, if you're interested in that, uh, come back in like probably three to four weeks. Uh, and if you're not, uh, come back in six to eight. And <laughs> we'll, see, <laughs> we'll see you then. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Well, just put us on in the background and then mute us. Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. The and, you know, just play this podcast over and over again. You gotta do reviews too. Yeah, you add add some reviews to your. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe not after this spiel. episode. Maybe go listen to some of the other ones and then uh, and then leave a review. <laughs> well, that's it for today. And I guess based on our conversation, we're doing. We're doing leprechauns next. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if leprechauns 
are, are cryptids or not, but we're, we're going to talk about them. And I have a feeling that they've got a storied history that goes beyond the cover of the Lucky Charms cereal box. So I'm really looking forward to recording that one. But hey, if you've got suggestions for what we should cover next, uh, please do tell us. And if you've got suggestions about how we should run the show better, like we we also take those. So you can hit us up at cryptidsdecrypted at gmail.com if you're an email person. Uh, I do like receiving those. Those are fun. Uh, we're also at castdecrypted on Twitter and at cryptidsdecrypted on Instagram. You can also follow me at realmacashna on Twitter. Look, so if you want to harass us, we've, there's four platforms to do it on. Uh, and we, we, Hey, we love it. So thanks for listening. Really appreciate your time and have a really safe holidays. Everybody wear a mask, keep your distance and we'll talk soon.